0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: You're listening to Winds Above Fantasy, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network with Van Burnett,
2: and Steve Giswelli. Welcome back everybody it is Winds Above Fantasy episode 79 November 18th Steve we are smack dab in the offseason and couldn't be happier to talk some baseball with you I'm Van Burnett he's Steve Giswelli you guys can find us on Twitter at Wins Above Pod I'm at Van underscore verified and Steve is at Stav 8818 We got an exciting show today. We're going to be doing a little bit of looking back with the bold prediction review as Steve's article just released on PitcherList, and we're going to talk about our 10 shots and where we hit and much more frequently where we missed, talk a little bit about process of bold predictions and tease out some, some names we might be interested in going bold on in 2023 but we got a lot of stuff to talk about steve and i think we can play it kind of loose um, i'm excited to talk about the pitchless mock draft a little bit but the the nick pollock podcast that i just got done with and that you are on deck to record tomorrow with nick so a lot of good stuff but it's been a while man this every other week thing's got me uh missing the waff routine talk to me about life man how's it going
1: yeah it's good it's good as you know at times daunting the pumping out a weekly episode is i know uh you know that that's not much considering a lot of people do a lot more podcasts and daily stuff but you know we 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 do this uh you know this is a side hustle so uh it it does get you know when you're in the middle of august it's it's a grind right Uh, you know we talk about it on the show but now that we're we're every two weeks it's nice you know you you kind of build up to it's like all right you know uh time to record again and then I'm sure as we finish up these look back episodes and start to get more into preview mode, it'll be even more exciting. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's good. We, we talk, uh, about accountability all the time and wanting to actually stick by and review things that we think will happen or predictions or bold predictions. So, uh, timely that my article came out Wednesday as we're recording this, uh, you could check that out. Like Van said on picture uh, uh, a review of the bold predictions in written form, but uh, good that we'll be talking about it in uh, verbal form, right? Uh, on the pod. So uh, excited to break that down and, you know, maybe improve our process. Like, right, I, Nick Pollock always says, or when he pitches the bold prediction season to us, right? Like, it's not about getting them right. You still want them to be bold. Like, a, a good bold prediction article is getting one right. So if you're getting. 8 out of 10, 5 out of 10, even these predictions, right, you're, you're doing it wrong. Uh, there, there's a sweet spot, and I think uh, there, there's there's a process that I think uh, maybe we'll talk about when we, when we look ahead and try to try to tease out some names for our next, next year's bold predictions. Uh, we could apply
2: that. Uh, but to do that, we have to look back, right? Yeah, I think a fun aspect of this that you and I have not spoken about, Steve, is one— the propensity to jump back in on guys that you've gone bold on Uh in the past, because I've had a couple of those CJ Krohn comes to mind where I was like one year early on this mega bold prediction. And then, you know, he turns around and kind of explodes. And it's like, I feel like it's the epitome of getting burnt when you put your name on it and you write an article on it and you're like, all right, I'm moving on. But sometimes when you look at, your rationale leading into it, and then you look at the snapshot of the season, I'm finding that, you know, there's it's not the most insane thing to, you know, go back to the well, although, uh, you know, then it's kind of double the pain and suffering. But curious, in the PL mock draft, did you draft any of your names that were bold predictions? And this can be yes or no. I don't want to spoil the the actual predictions for the show. (sighs) Um... I don't, I don't think I did like, and I think
1: it's kind of how I, it's a lot of how I play, right? Like I I like Dylan Cease and Shane McClanahan when they're fifth and eighth round picks respectively. I don't like when they're second and third round picks, right? So that kind of uh, goes against how I sort of, sort of, sort of play. Well, I think
2: this is just a, you know, this is a microcosm of you actually having good, bold predictions that got more expensive, whereas mine are, are the same price, if not
1: cheaper. Uh, yeah, and I, I guess maybe to sort of answer your question in a different way or, or, or a question that you maybe didn't ask, but maybe this will be some insightful. But if I'm burned on a guy, like, I, I I stay away, right? Like, I, like I just, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, like I
2: like I, like life's the too short. What,
1: yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, Arenado sort of burned me two years ago with with my chalkboard pick, and I don't think I, I think I only had one share of Nolan Arenado, uh, and it was from my someone I traded for at like the trade deadline, so like a half season share of Arenado last year. So uh, I, I tend to get scared and go away from my, my big misses
2: fair that's fair well before we get into the list and kind of rattle them off and speculate a little bit we got to at least address the uh on the record the the pitcher list mock draft podcast with nick so you're on deck you're recording tomorrow yep yep you got you got all your notes ready i mean that is the hot seat that, that oh yeah,
1: on. yeah. That that that's that. Uh, and you know, I, I've been waiting for this podcast <laughs> for like a year. Are you going to be gunning for him? Uh, yeah, because <laughs> you, you know, while being on the hot seat, you know, you you kind of just sit there and, and take it. You take it. You know, I I, I my, my that was I think I joked on last week's episode or two weeks ago episode. Like that was by far my best team <laughs> that I drafted in, in, in a meaningless mock draft. But I had like Buxton, oh, uh, you know uh i i waited super long on, on pitching but it was like otani javier uh you know a, a few other yeah, gems like luis luis garcia like guys that were just super late that every single one of them hit uh i think i had like you know uh i think i had judge buxton uh uh acuna was i think my first pick and that you know it, it, had that been a real team that wouldn't have been that bad yeah, your staff sure was when, terrific though, yeah if i recall yeah so uh I, i'm i'm definitely going to give some pushback there and at least try and take some credit for being good last year and and, and push it back a little bit but then hopefully uh listen man you know
2: take the victory do,
1: handle the hot seat well uh this year too
2: with maybe a little more pushback since i have that uh that's good
1: Ammunition in the tank. That's good courage. uh, It's
2: good courage that you're you're saying that now too, because I feel like you know I went in there. It's harder to do that.
1: It's harder to do that when you're when you're on. Yeah, when he starts talking
2: about glove side versus arm side on the sinkers, I'm like, listen, man, I'm (laughs) I'm tapped out. But I think (laughs) he's going to be good, and I've already given you my (laughs) reasons. No, mine was mine was somewhat somewhat painless. I think uh, you know wins above fantasy has. Given us some credibility to where Nick was a little bit easier on me this year. Granted, I didn't have a Ranger Suarez uh, tenth round pick or whatever that was. Yeah, but but that ended up being fine. Well, you know,
1: we joked about that that this this year too. You got a lot of record, slack for that too.
2: If I can say for the record, Steve, because I know he's just been somehow hitched to to my brand. I actually had very little shares of Suarez. I just thought he was an interesting use case because of how red hot he was at the end of uh, 21. But I believe I am on the record on an earlier episode saying Ranger Suarez will probably be neither terrible nor great. He'll probably just be vanilla and in the middle. And I think that's kind of what he was. I mean, the whip, if Mm -hmm. I recall, wasn't great. But anyway, enough of that. You guys can check all of those out on the picture list on the corner, the main podcast network feed where Nick – is the host and pretty much grills us across, what is it, 23 different draft picks. But it is great content. I've been listening to some of the other guys. And it's a great way to just get, you know, your early opinions because you kind of hear both sides of the argument and the devil's advocate. It's a great way to figure out guys who you are more or less in or out on at least this early in the off season.
1: Yeah, because it's a good way to get a gauge on it, too, because – all of the drafts at NFPC are like draft champions, which are draft and hold. So the ADP market you're looking at is not necessarily for the game that you're going to play. This is a standard 5x5, five five, Yahoo, fair ADP. Obviously, it's not an ADP. It's just one draft. But at least it'll give you a ballpark of, oh, wow, this guy went this high. Or, oh, wow, this guy went this late. Um you know, so it was. It was good. Uh, you know, everyone takes it seriously, and you know Nick wouldn't wouldn't do it uh, unless he does it well, and that that's what he's doing by having everyone not only do the draft but do a podcast on their draft. So, uh, about as in depth of a preview as you can have in the middle of November, right for uh, for draft season, which I think is a it's a great resource. I wish that. I used it more last year, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. I, I wish more of my teams looked like uh, what I did earlier in the off season. But again, you know, maybe that's uh, easier said than done because there isn't uh, an ADP, or you know, you can get judged in the end of the second round in a mock draft in November. Where I don't know, maybe he was going around there. There was some scares with like. The, the covid shot right that he, he might have missed home games so yeah I, I, I guess maybe, maybe you know it is more useful than than i than than I think
2: just just talking about it yeah and it's a it's a long off season you deal with yeah. the hype of spring training and you know people coming in in the best shape of their life and all that <laughs> and stuff. Last, it's, it's last
1: year was so weird too because the lockout the pause of transactions like true. Someone was saying, uh, I forgot who it was, but it's so nice to have just a regular off season. I think maybe it was Nick on one of uh, uh, his his messages to the pitcher list staff, right? Like,
2: yeah, full season behind co- us, we had, full we had season ahead. Covid,
1: of us. In, yeah, we had covid and a-, a shortened year, and then we had a lockout in the off season, like a transaction freeze, and people signing in a five day span right before spring training. A shortened spring training like this is just a normal regular off season and i'm very happy that
2: we could approach it as such yeah the most you got to deal with is uh the catchers have some depth at the position and the bases got bigger and you know a little oh, yeah bit the rule changes true, yeah, it's, true but that's true. fine yeah, yeah, you, you yeah, know that's yeah. the fun stuff so yeah. all right well that's that's good chatter and you'll have to text me let me know how it goes and we'll, we'll talk in a couple weeks but to the topic, Steve, bold predictions. And you mentioned a little bit that kind of the the assumptions are that you're you're attempting to be bold. I remember on my little Reddit thread, I had some positive comments about my article. And they're like, this is great. And then one guy was like, none of these are going to happen. And that was in all caps. And I was like, cool, bro. Like, they're not supposed to. It's supposed to be like yeah. 10%. So <laughs> that is kind of the, the highest level Uh, expectation setter. But beyond that, I mean, maybe just talk for for the listeners about how you approach this because I think there's interesting nuance in the fact that these are guys you're excited about, but it is also the nature of a bold prediction that it's not just excitement. There's another variable Mm -hmm. of kind of that boom bust and all outcomes, uh, you know, the top range of outcomes happening. So, Talk about kind of your psychology as you put these together, um, and then we can we can start getting into the the scorecard here.
1: Like, I think you kind of summed it up well. Like, you obviously have to have a strong opinion, and in most cases for mine, it was a strong positive opinion about these players. Um, but then you want to, for actually, you know, making bold predictions, you want to say, okay, what is like the ninetieth percentile? Or even 99th percentile outcome uh, for this player season, or the other way, you know, the bottom tenth percentile outcome, yeah, uh, for 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 a player, right? Like, you know, for if I wanted to make a a, a Byron Buxton bowl prediction, it wouldn't be like, oh, Byron is going to hit thirty home runs because, like, that's possible. He comes close basically every year, and it wouldn't be that surprising if he did it, even then. You know, even if he was injured uh, and played a hundred games, like that's still a possibility. That's not that bold for my first pick. Like I want Brian Bruxton wins MVP, so that means a, a player who's never had a fully healthy year has to have a fully healthy year and perform like he is an MVP candidate and and like he showed in short spurts, like he did in twenty twenty one, and even for for points this year um, to really make it pop right like it it needs to be something that probably isn't going to happen it needs to have someone on a reddit thread who doesn't understand bold predictions (laughs) say none of these are going to come true because that's probably right um none of them should come true Uh, if they all do you're not being bold enough so I, i try to do it with you know i sort of learned a lesson from uh from my chalkboard picks from two years ago, like they were probably more bold predictions than they were actually things to bank on. Um, so uh, I, I think I, I, I don't have the problem of going bold. And with my results
2: this year, I think I was probably bold enough, too, because not many of them were. They were good. Yeah, we're correct. I thought we yeah. I thought we nailed it on the degree of difficulty. So talk mm-hmm. us through you. You were halfway there on that first one. Stephen, we'll, we'll go back and forth. Don't want to spend a ton of time on the prediction itself, but I think yeah. we can talk a little bit about the season and maybe a little snapshot outlook of next season. But Buxton winning yeah. MVP, of course, did not. This happen. was
1: this was like everybody's bold prediction. So maybe next year I'm going to shy away from like having the chalk bold prediction. Right, right. I think I I put it in my recap article, and there was links to like four different uh-huh. bold predictions, like Eno know uh, I think it was Scott White's on CBS. Uh, uh, <laughs> Right. Ed had, had uh like group Bucks think. in it as yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, that's probably not gonna happen if everyone's bold prediction is, is Byron Bucks and win the MVP. I mean the thing that was surprising was not that Bucks had only played what, uh, you know, ninety games. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was that his his average sort of dipped back down to to pre amazing shortened season and, and awesome shortened twenty twenty-one uh levels with him. Um was the strikeout all, rate went yeah. back it was all back strikeouts up. pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean it's not like the highly concerning thirty five percent uh strikeout rate that Buckson had um prior to becoming like, you know, everyone's favorite <laughs> bold prediction pick, but it was still elevated uh at twenty five percent. And then the amount of fly balls that he hit um going that fly ball heavy it's gonna just do you know that that's what's going to lead to uh you know a 2.24 average so it was it was 30% it was back to 30% so um you know in in 2019 he had a 23% strikeout rate 2020 27 and then 2021 24% so it jumped all the way back up to 30.4% you know you pair that with 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 the amount of fly balls that he hits and that's going to be a batting average risk so um i think we need to factor in um more than just injury risk with Bucks. And Yeah, he had 51% fly balls last year too. That's not a recipe uh, even with that speed for for hitting anywhere remotely close to like the the 2306 that he had in 2021. Uh I think this the ceiling for average might be like the 250 like a 2020 season. So So we he, might have to adjust our expectations yeah. I think a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, I
2: think it's a good point. I mean, he was pulling the ball a lot more like the barrel rate and, and launch angle were still way up there which i yeah. think is overall like a positive story what's weird to me and i i'm probably just forgetting but the fact that he only played 92 games but it looks like on the injury report he had that he had the hip strain in mm-hmm. august late august but w- were they resting him like sporadically oh, yeah. leading up to yeah. that so they, was he like they, they three were, out rest- four they were games? resting
1: him a bunch he had another he had an IL stint, I think, uh, in, in late April, early May. Oh, that's um, and then there was there was uh, also a uh, you know a good amount of time where he would not be on the IL and miss a few games in a row. Um, and then on top of that, I mean, he only had six steals; he didn't get caught, but he, he, he he's not going to run because. You know, he's just not going to get injured. Like, his main goal, he said this year, was to try and play a full season, and he got to 92 games. So, uh, I I try not to believe in the injury-prone label, but, you know, this is just at a different level. Like, everything would need to go right for Bucks and even play 140 games, which he only did once back in 2017, which is just crazy. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he went to pick seventy seven in our mock draft. That's gonna to be too early for me, but I don't know. It I guess some of it depends on the league format, you know, sure. like a, a best ball or, or a yeah, yeah or, or main like you know something if, where if
1: you if you don't have an outfielder and like you're in like the sixth seventh round and you want to take a high upside outfielder, if you have uh, guys that are like Steady Eddies um, without injury risk, like I could see doing something like that. But it, it, it's not like where it's going to be last year for me, where it's like, oh, well, you know, Bucks and around four or five, like auto-take or wherever he was. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a lot more hesitation from my end. Uh, and, and it's going to be a lot more strategic for me to have Bucks on rosters. Not saying that I won't, but I'll have to be a lot more careful about it.
2: Yep. Uh, nice segue to me, Steve. I'm just going to be uh – Egg on the face this whole show. So let's just rip the band-aid here. The first bold prediction I had was that Joey Votto would finish as a top three first baseman, uh, crunch of numbers. He finished 63rd in the first baseman uh Razzball player raider. Uh so yeah, not good. There's there's uh, you know, basically every major league team's backup first baseman finished ahead of Votto. <laughs> uh the process i was fine with in 21 he had 36 homers was top 5 in pretty much every sexy stat cast category and he had the injury um you know as we were laughing about a few shows ago steve or you mentioned that his quote i didn't know i was hurt i thought i just stunk um <laughs> and now the quote which i told nick on the show cuz he was my mr irrelevant last pick of our mock draft the quote Votto said was, I'd like to have a strong finish to my career and be proud. Yeah. And he's coming back. I think the Reds would want to give him kind of the pool holes treatment. Uh-oh. And this is yeah. a guy that his whole career, like I've had a hard time betting against Votto. So I'm certainly not saying draft with any expectations but I really do think you can do a lot worse at pick like 320 if he lands there.
1: It's like taking an upside rookie, right? Like it's worth a flyer, yeah. right? Uh that that's uh, he's going to be free um you know the Reds are going to let him play and like may in like even in like deeper leagues like in NFBC where there's a corner you need like a you know a third first baseman like I think Vado is a great pick for that because He's going to get the playing time as long as he's healthy. Obviously, that's a risk, um, but it should be at a very reasonable price that you can move on pretty quickly. So, yep. I think that'll be a great depth play uh, with upside uh, for like a, a backup first baseman in FBC style. And you know, hey, even even shallower leagues, it's worth a it's worth
2: a flyer. Uh, I, I'm I'll probably have some shares, and I'm just jumping back in. But we're uh, each O for one. Steve, you came. Dangerously close on this one. I think this is absolutely a spiritual victory, but rattle off uh number two for your bold prediction.
1: Yeah, this would have been right if not for uh Nick Polk's absolutely unnecessary and obviously bias against Dylan cease <laughs> Um you know, he finished runner up the Cy Young voting happened tonight. He was I believe he was second. Yes, he was a runner up in the Cy Young. Uh, arguably, I, I you know, I know Verlander was unanimous, but I, I think he could have made a case for Dylan Cease. Um, so in real baseball mind, he finishes a top five pitcher, but in, in Nick Pollock's mind, he was number 20, which I get there should be some regression, but come on. The, you, you want 19 pitchers more than you want Dylan Cease next year? I'm not buying it. So you um, so you
2: specified that this had to be on Nick's list. Ha-
1: yes, which I will never do again. I am not going to because be where did he finish subject, on the
2: player uh, radar? Yeah.
1: On the player radar he was 6 and I said it uh, in my yeah, recap. That's, right, that's right. Yeah. Uh and on Ball player radar that was what I, I use for for hitters for pitchers I use Nick's rank which I won't use. I'll use a a value calculator next year. Um <laughs> So even if I did, you know, I would have given. I w- I wanted to give myself credit for that, and in spirit, this bold prediction is right. Like if you've read this article, and we're like, all right, I'll I'll, I'll bump up Dylan Cease around in my my drafts, like that that served this purpose. Like they got back to bold predictions and like the purpose of it, like. You know, it's a way of saying, okay, here's a guy that I'm, you know, higher or lower than, than the market and willing to bump up a round or two because I think this is their top outcome. Cease reached his top outcome. He just, you know, uh, has a slightly elevated walk rate. Like, you know, yeah, sure, there'll be some regressions, but uh, I'm willing to go uh, have a, a a battle with Nick uh, on Cease that he'll finish above the 20th rank starting pitcher
2: next year. Well, hey, I... I- I kind of fought the battle for you, Steve, because I had to defend my third round pick of Cease at, at uh, there you go. SP Love number it. ten. I cannot
1: wait to hear that, and not wait. To yeah, hear that. I was,
2: uh, you know, I was giving it a full go. He he brought up some good, so, some good. So, points.
1: what was your not to spoil the podcast, but what was your pushback? I guess against you know the obvious concern that there is an elevated walk rate. You know, the home run rate was was suppressed. Um, you know, it was a high left on base rate. Um, yep. what, what was your cliff note version to, without spoiling the episode? So people actually go tune into that
2: for sure. I mean, you know, part of the discussion is that, you know, to think that a 26 year old can't improve a 10% walk rate as he's still basically like developing as a pitcher to, to me, the argument for both him and Strider was, the idea is trying to grab pitchers who appear to be on the ascent mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. still figuring out their pitch mix. And I think the fact that his slider is so nasty and, the I mean, we're laughing about the minus 36 run value, complete joke. Mm-hmm. But even over the past two years, I think there's a floor that's being ignored with Cease a little bit because over his last 350 innings, he has a 30% strikeout rate. So that mm-hmm. is not something... Especially as his volume has worked up to where now I think 180 is the expectation. That's that's not a bad floor even if you slap like a 3.8 ERA with it. But if he improves the 10% walk rate, because Nick put on his on his list rankings, who's the last pitcher to flirt with a two ERA with a 10% walk rate? I'll wait type of a thing. And Corbin Burns did that. He had a different path to getting there, but. Another one that was kind of similar that we talked about was Robbie Ray, yeah. who just improved even at his old age, the the control issues. So it's part of that. And I think the other part is just that the fastball and curve have underperformed so much up to this point to where, you know, it's he has a if, he has a if lot there's of below. any
1: If there's any bit of improvement in those two pitches, like it, he can get better, which is scary. It, that's right? exactly like, right. It's like, like think it's about scary. what, think about what like McClanahan did, a guy that we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. Like he came out and like you know we were in love with the slider, and then his fastball was better, his curveball was better, his changeup was better. So much so that his slider became the fourth pitch. Like imagine if there was just a a forty percent gain of of, of that. Uh, you know, those things sort of happen. Right. And, and cease has the stuff that if there's something like that, that, that happens to even just one of those pitches, like there
2: could be even more of an upside, right? Cause yeah, yeah you're right. He did this with the 10% walk rate. Yep. Yeah. And I think the fact that, you know, I think wins is also a potential growth area just because La Russa and the white Sox were such a dumpster yeah. fire. But anyway, I mean, I totally get your point and it is pricey for cease. And yes, if it mm-hmm. goes wrong, it could slide a lot further than like a Brandon Woodruff and, and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. But all that said, um, you can tune in for the full debate. But yeah, I, I think uh, you basically crushed that bold prediction just by the letter of the law. It did not count officially yeah. as a hit. Um, I got crushed on my next bold prediction, Steve, and it was probably the one I was most fired up about. <laughs> I just got to keep talking about Yasmani Grandal, I guess, till the end of time. He's like uh, penance for all the, the hater aid I had with Eugenio Suarez. But Yasmani Grandal, I was really excited at the end of 21 with the surge he was on with an 1154 OPS in his last 100 at bats or so. With the, a little swing change in the minors, however, he was kind of the poster boy for or one of them for the dumpster fire with the White Sox. My bold prediction was that Grandall would finish the number one catcher and bat 265. Uh, he batted 202 and he finished the 63rd catcher. So both Joey Votto and Grandall, 63rd at the position, which is how I was doing my bold predictions. It all went wrong, Um, you know, uncharacteristic. And part of it was, you know, there was some bad luck mixed in there, but he was off. He said it was the knee that was bothering him, which was his final IL stint. Um, You know, it'll be interesting this year from the total bargain bin of catcher if you miss out on kind of the top 10 or so. I don't think it's a terrible idea to see if Grandal can get back to being like a 240 25 mm-hmm. homer guy um, but yeah it was a, it was a huge miss and I still don't hate the process you know even rereading it I was trying to convince myself over again but um, mm. yeah it went way south and did not look good in the process so big miss on Grandal for my second one.
1: He slugged 269. That was close to the 265 <laughs> batting average. Call. Uh, Tw- twist no, knife, I'm, man. I'm, 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 I'm sorry. That was that was, that was a little blow. Yeah, no, um, I deserve it, man. Keep him coming. No, 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 no. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, happens. Happens. To, happens to the best of us. Um, but I think you make a good point. Like it's very similar to Votto, right? Like. As long as you're kind of comfortable, it, it, you might be. As my buddy Rich in our home league says, you might have to jump back on the catcher car- carousel. <laughs> uh, you know, the 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 place that you go if you don't have a top catcher and just add uh, add one each week and try and ride it out. Uh, so you may be on that quickly, but it's worth a shot. As like if you know if you if you do the punt catcher category in, like a a one catcher league, like it's worth saying, hey, maybe Grandal will be a lot better than he was last year because he's he's capable of doing it. Uh, we saw it just. Uh, just a year ago. So
2: thanks for the consolation, uh, there, Steve. Yeah. Uh, let's keep it moving right along to your number third, and finally, we have a hit here. So there we take go. the lap.
1: There we go. Yep. Yep. Uh, a guy that was pretty pretty divisive too. I know a lot of uh, Met fans, friends that were pretty much out on, on Lindor and uh, Francisco Lindor. That is uh, my bold prediction was that he would be a top three shortstop. He finished third. Uh, on the Raswell Player Raider uh, behind um, Trey Turner. And uh, quick trivia, do you, do you have a, a guess of who was uh, second uh, in, in front of uh, Lindor?
2: Mm, well, it probably was not. Was it Bo Bichette with all the counting nope. stats?
1: Nope, I believe Bo was four.
2: Um, who else would be short? I'm blanking right now. Uh,
1: somewhat of a surprising name in the same division as Lindor.
2: Um oh Bobby Witt.
1: Same division, and a and Oh
2: gosh, I'm still in Cleveland, <laughs> aren't I? Um,
1: yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, Dansby. Yep, yep. Dansby Swanson was the number two shortstop, uh, which is pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, like a lot of people like you know thought that the kind you know, LOL Mets it would be a waste of a year, but you know, Lindor quietly had the second highest WRC plus of his career. A 132 in 2018 and his WRC plus this year was one twenty seven. Yes, well obviously a lot of that has to do with how suppressed offense was, but hey, he was still twenty seven percent better than than league average at shortstop with the bat. Um and had great counting stats, uh twenty-six homers, sixteen steals, um, hit two seventy, so it was like a five category fantasy contributor, like essentially kind of what Peak Lindor was, just adjusted for the for the run environment. So um yeah, I mean uh, the, the the warning signs were there last year. There was uh the fact that he was far too passive which, you know, probably was doing having to do with pressing for that huge uh extension that he got the 30 million dollar a year extension, trying to justify that, the pressure of coming to New York and the Mets being so bad uh in 2021. Um so, you know, uh d- despite that, he still had a 2010 season. Uh, obviously it wasn't what you hoped for fantasy wise or what what the Mets were doing. So it's nice to see that Lindor is back to being that top fantasy asset uh, of a shortstop. And, you know, uh, I I think we might not see like the 38, 25 seasons again, Mm -hmm. um, unless like the ball rapidly changes, but you know, I, I could expect like going forward, like 25, 15 with like a decent average and great counting stats, right? Like, uh, you can sort of project that through his, his his early 30s as he's entering his age 29 season here, which is kind of what the Mets hope for um, when they signed him to that contract. And I think that's what Lindor is at this point, and that's really,
2: really good. Yeah, and he's kind of an interesting one because, you know, his player page doesn't light up red, and that's been the case. And I remember, you know, to – to coattail your victory lap here. I I was fighting an uphill battle on the uh, pitch con with Scott White because I said Lindor was one that I was thinking would have a bounce back. And he was like, going the complete opposite direction. Like people were out on Lindor.
1: He was divisive. He was very divisive. Yeah.
2: And yeah. And I remember some of those arguments were like, what's going to improve? Like he's not a 30 homer guy. He's, it looks like he's every bit of like a, you know, standard 255 average guy because he was coming off the 230 season. But I think this is what it should look like with Lindor Mm -hmm. with, like, spread out contribution across the board and really good counting stats with the Mets. So, yeah, I like it. I I wonder if he's going to, because of the fact that he's not, like, a barrel king or anything like Mm -hmm. that. Like, he went at the first pick of the third round in our mock draft. So that's, what, pick 25? I would Mm -hmm. say by the time we're in prime draft uh, season that that's going to go the other way, where I think he'll be somewhere in like the mid thirties.
1: Yeah, I think that's the case. And obviously, we love Savant, we love Statcast, but like when a guy like Lindor that isn't like the Statcast darling has an off year, I think we may go too far the other way. Yeah, where the same same sort of thing like you know a guy like Tyler O'Neill that absolutely mashes the ball has a season where everything breaks right like we might go too far the other way uh it's so like there's two those are two opposite end of the spectrum types of type of players yep. uh and when a guy that doesn't have like a bright red stat cast page it's like oh well you know everything we knew about him was true like it was obviously not as good as we thought and you know it, it isn't this amazing fantasy player uh we might jump to that conclusion a little bit too quickly. I think that's what we did with Lindor there. And, you know, uh, if you grabbed him late, you, you got a lot of value. I think he was probably going like a shortstop 10 last year, 10 to 12, something like that. Um, so uh, I doubt there'll be that
2: sort of value this year on him, but he had a great year. For sure. And it's a great, bold prediction there. If uh, people backed that, they were reaping the benefits. But. On to uh, my third miss here, which was Jorge Soler. And this one was a little unfortunate with injury, but uh, the prediction was that he would finish a top 50 overall player and a top 15 outfielder. Uh, nowhere close. He only played 72 games. Uh, had some some rough injuries with a, a pelvis thing and then lower back spasms that pretty much knocked him out the rest of the season. He did have 13 homers in 72 games. Uh, but the strikeout rate was way up. So part of the reason for the bold prediction was that his K rate was down to 18% when he joined the Braves, and his slug, all his homers, were through the roof. World Series MVP, I think, it's quickly forgotten about, and the thought was at the discount he could kind of put it all together. Then he signed with the Marlins, which wasn't great. He batted 207, which wasn't great. Um, yeah, this seems like waiver wire fodder probably mm-hmm. Steve but maybe uh, you know potential streamer if you need some power or in super deep leagues depending on if he comes back healthy and hitting homers and stuff I I still like some of the you know again going back to the stat cast numbers I like some of those but I think this was just a shot at the top outcome and between injuries and the plate discipline just did not work out
1: yeah um, not to like critique or like get too like in depth here but i think and as we go on like i think a lot of your other picks will will look a lot better but i think maybe an issue here sort of with the process if you don't mind me oh yeah, yeah, yeah chiming in on that but i think maybe at least these first three were too backward-looking and focusing on, like, the, the smaller sample of a second half sort of run.
2: Definitely Grandal and Soler. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Whereas, like, better predictions are taking some larger, longer narrative and applying it to a more forward-thinking, okay, this guy should bounce back or this guy should break out sort of, sort of process, right? Like, I think that that's... Oh, not that you know you want these to all be right cuz then they like we said this wouldn't be the process but i think that that might be the way to sort of <laughs> but yeah find a sweet spot and and at least f- identify players that you know we 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 could fade or 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 be more correct about at least in in the direction
2: right yeah maybe just the the some smaller or more uh i guess targeted metrics but not just yeah. from like a august on or something yeah. like that or, which- and,
1: or and even even results based right like uh, you know uh, if there's I, I forget who who it was but uh it's a it's a philosophy i try to apply to to i think maybe it was like spore back on a, a paul spore back on a, on a podcast and sleeper in the bus like there needs to be a reason that you identify why these things sort of happen like right like You know, uh, Rafael Devers to take for an example from this year. Like he had that hamstring injury, he had a back injury, and as soon as he came back from that hamstring injury, he was just not the same player. Like you, like there's a narrative to apply to say, okay, this is why this player disappointed or overachieved, Uh, and and if you can identify that, I think that it, it it's a way to sort of at least have a good process to, to picking things not that not that those things weren't a good uh, a, a good process but just something a, a takeaway you know for my for my picks that were wrong too we'll, we'll get to one in uh in two here that uh that i kind of did the same thing
2: for sure yeah and i think you know there's some narrative there's some underlyings that looked good but i think it's it's totally fair to say like both of those were and a couple other ones I have on this list are completely hitched to splits and kind of a recency bias. Yeah, like a recency bias. Yep. Yeah.
1: It's tough to it's tough to make predictions off a of recency bias or splits. That's that's For sure. definitely a lesson learned.
2: Okay, well let's go to your fourth one, Steve, on the pitchers here.
1: Yep, a uh, little uh, regional uh, prediction here. I had that Shane McClanahan would be the best pitcher in the AL East and Trevor Rogers would be the best pitcher in the NL East. So if I wanted to bend the rules, I could have given myself sort of half credit there. Uh, <laughs> Point I five. think um, Garrett Cole finished uh, ahead of McClanahan on obviously Knicks rankings and uh, the Rasball player Raider. Uh, McClanahan was hurt and sort of faded a bit uh, after the All-Star break. But hey, um, process-wise... Uh, uh, i I'm proud that I had McClanahan as a as an up arrow in my prediction trevor Rodgers, though on the other hand was uh, the exact opposite just everything that could go wrong uh did go wrong for him you know, there's you know back injuries all year like he finally looked good uh said he felt good after a few rehab outings and then was eventually shut down at the end of the year with a a, a, diff, a lat injury that he said was unrelated to back which is good news considering you know uh, it, it wasn't something that recurred that helped uh, derail his season uh, or the first few months of his season so kind of kind of the opposite it's kind of uh, fitting right like these are two pitchers that I love like you could I could have taken one here and the other in another draft and th- that's sort of the downside of my fade pitching and, and, and identify these upside plays right like it's kind of just a coin flip right if i would have taken mclanahan or rogers although to be fair i did like mclanahan more than rogers and had more shares so uh it, it just speaks to the difficulty kind of like what little piranha was saying like is that good process if you had mclanahan rogers in the same bucket uh i don't know
2: because it depends if you got lucky or not with mclanahan but I think uh, yeah, I think you would take that though. I mean they're both yeah. in, oh, the, for sure. in the ballpark of, for sure. of pick one hundred range, give or take, and McClanahan certainly came out as I mean, even on the player raider, he was eleventh, all things considered. There was only one AL East pitcher above him. It was not Garrett Cole. Oh, it wasn't it? Was Alec Manoa Manoa, now. there you go. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I think well, yeah. I think if you you know, with the way pitchers kind of ebb and flow, if you're getting like a top five guy at pick 100, yeah, this was a this was a great prediction as well. It was just Rogers had a slew of of issues that mm-hmm. have yet to be corrected. So I think it's it's a good. I, one I still I still have hope for Rogers. So what, what about you? Um, he's one I want to look into more because talk about being burned. I mean, you and I were both kind of waiting on him for you know, the first two months of the season, and I was watching a couple of starts very closely. He was probably on every bounce-back episode for us, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was to a point where, like, you know, he was on the wire, and it felt weird to see him out there. So I was, Mm. you know, at my in-laws watching Trevor Rogers go through five innings, and I was like, it looks good, it looks good, and then it would all go (laughs) wrong. And, you know, it was just like... It was a struggle, so he's one that I definitely want because there there will be value there if if you believe in him. So he he's going to be well worth a deep dive. But yeah, that that's a good one for sure. Um, I'm sticking with pitchers on mine. This was maybe kind of a spiritual uh, w, but it goes back to that little piranha question of you know process because Blake Snell was was the prediction as a top ten SP, which on the surface was. Simply not true. Um, He was the 49th overall pitcher, so not even close to the top 10. But part of that was an injury in the first half. The other part was he really struggled in the first half. He did not let go of that changeup, which is what I was excited about at the end of 21. Again, looking at that second half results. But Blake Snell is throwing us right back in that, that conundrum because he was the number two pitcher overall in the second half. With 105 strikeouts over 78 innings, a 219 ERA, and a 103 whip. So, because I'm desperate for any sort of win, that's my spiritual win that at least Snell was well above a top 10 pitcher in the second half, but still overall a a major headache. My brother uh, drafted him, and he was, you know, pointing in my face after the draft about my bold prediction. And he was like, Yeah, thanks for the pick. And then he was mad at me the rest of the, you know, spring months because Snell was a bum, but then he's really, he really turned it on and yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, out of the gate, I saw he has a pretty crazy min pick max pick range and I think it's going to stay that way where he's probably going to be anywhere from 65 to one forty five overall in drafts. And yeah, it should be interesting, but I think I, I think I'm ready to get hurt again with Snell. It just looks so good when he is good and at some point, you're like begging for conventional wisdom that he just sticks to what he knows works. But anyway, that's Snell. And it was, again, a miss, but it was at least closer than my first three. Yeah, the, the, the min pick is going to be like the guys who traded for him or added him
1: off the wire in the second <laughs> half or, or held, held on to him. Right. For, the, 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 the max pick is going to be the guys that you know, had to deal with him through April, May and June. When he was bad, Blake Snell. But you know, it, it kind of sums him up. Like he's like a Jekyll and Hyde player, right? Like sometimes he looks like a Cy Young and one a Cy Young, and literally in the second half he was, you know, uh, uh, those were Cy Young type numbers. Uh, in the first half, you really couldn't even really roster him. So mm-hmm. uh, I think overall it'll probably be somewhere in between those two and like a a good strikeout rate with a mid. Three ZRA, uh, hopefully it's a little bit more balanced production. I think that'll be better for, for everybody else's sake though.
2: Yep. Totally fair. Well, let's keep moving. And Steve, let's get to your fifth, uh, back to the hitter side here.
1: Yeah, this was, uh, not a good one. One that I'm not proud of. Uh, this, this one's tough to read. Uh, Brendan Rogers and Ryan McMahon out earned Nolan Arenado and Trevor story. Uh, you know, Story even kind of opened the gate for me with how how bad and down a year that he had, just with everything that went on, uh, injury, hit by pitch. Uh, you know, I think he was sick at one point too for for a while. Uh, you know, everything that could go wrong uh, did go wrong for Story. I think he may be my Lindor version of uh, of a bounce back though uh, uh, next year with all the things that went wrong for him. So, getting into the sneak peek territory, I guess there, but. Brendan Rogers and Ryan McMahon did nothing to, um, you know, even make this pick sort of interesting. And on top of that, Nolan Arenado was an MVP finalist. So uh, there we go with me fading a guy that uh, burned me the year before. By uh, you know, I was all in on Arenado in twenty twenty one. He was pretty much meh. And and then now this is the year to to have him. So uh, just you know, uh, a total miss kind of all around there but by, by me
2: yeah it was it was weird I liked Rogers too so I'm not gonna hide from this I, I was kind of a fade on story but Rogers you know some of the underlying stuff looked okay and he had a really good 21 but he just didn't get that full season Coors bounce that you're hoping for I mean the 266 average is fine but just 13 homers in 137 games compared to 15 the year before in 35 less games. So, yeah, yeah he if you just look couldn't at, get the if power If you look
1: out. at his split, splits on the road, it is absolutely, like, you know, he was pretty good at home and usable fantasy-wise, but on the road he was just, you know, it, it was like one of the most pronounced
2: core splits that that, that I have ever seen. Yeah, Crone yeah. had a brutal one as well, so that's something to, to think about for the cores yeah, guys. Yeah, he, is-
1: he had... Uh, As I'm scrolling here, um, he had a 117 WRC Plus at home, uh, a 65 uh, WRC Plus on the road. So uh, just not good. At home, he was 317, 377, 498 on the road. He was 218, 271, 317. So uh, that was good for an 875 OPS at home, 558 on the road. So uh, not great. Yeah, um, yeah. Yep. I, I wonder if, if you know, what's sort of preventing that breakout is is the ha- constant having to adjust to home and on the road and the altitude and cores. Like, you know, the, the the metrics are there. That 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 that's why we liked Rogers as sort of a breakout pick. Like, you could see some growth in the barrel rate, and and the max EV is there, and uh, you know that that's improving. the The hard hit rate's improving, but. It's just hard for him to to sort of put it all together, right? Like a strikeout rate under twenty percent. Like all the signs that are there. it's just it's hard to hard to develop mm-hmm.
2: in, in in Colorado. Yep. So that's Brendan Rogers, and you know nothing nothing of note for Ryan McMahon either. So yeah, just a math season. Yeah, math season. So my fifth, and uh, this one you know as another one that was kind of hampered by by injury a little bit but John Carlos Stanton will finish a top 10 hitter getting real bold there with a 150 5-0 wrc plus he had a 115 wrc plus and finished 174 overall as a hitter but that was only with 110 games he did have 31 homers dealt with more injuries with a calf strain an achilles issue but he just hit 211 and the strikeout rate climbed up, which is not what we were looking for. It was back up to thirty percent, second highest of his career. It is worth noting that Stanton had a two twenty-seven BABIP, and with how hard he hits the ball, his career BABIP is three fourteen. So I think this uh, could present a value opportunity, but it comes with kind of the Stanton headaches. Um, definitely a miss here, but. Uh, didn't hate the process looking back at it. Overall, just a lot of things went wrong from injury to plain luck to a little bit of plate discipline issues. But, you know, Stanton was not the story for the Yankees this year, clearly. And that was what the bold prediction was.
1: Yeah, it's getting, he's getting to an age where, right, it's going to be harder to see uh, an improved strikeout rate uh, year over year, right? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think you kind of project that to, Slowly get get worse, uh, and you know even more so than than the typical Stanton injuries that we that we deal with. That's kind of what would concern me the most. Similar to similar to Buxton, uh, not the exact same story, but similar sort of profile a- a- and issues. Like,
2: yeah, Mount you know, Rushmore I, probably I, have hit I, her. I, I injury think, uh, risks.
1: yeah, exactly, and I I think maybe uh, you know the the upside is more like a, a, a 2021 season, which which was good. You know, that was 140 games, 35 home runs, and an 870 OPS. Uh, you know, maybe that's uh, now the
2: ceiling. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
2: so. Yep, yep. So Stanton, had plenty of time to analyze him in the off season. Uh We are going to get to the second half of these and speed up the pace. But first, we're going to take a quick <laughs> ad break, and we'll be right back. All right, so Steve, we got to ramp it up here, but let's let's uh, go into hyper hyper hyperdrive mode. uh, Start us off with your six one, which I I would say is closer than the the previous one, but not not a full hit for you.
1: Closer, closer, but uh, close but no cigar. Uh, This pick was that um, Andrew Vaughn finishes the most valuable White Sox hitter, and a lot of guys did have some down years. You know, Eli Robert was a disappointment. Uh, Eloy Jimenez was hurt. Um Jose Abreu basically didn't hit for power. So they were the door was open for Andrew Vaughn to finish as the most valuable White Sox sitter. But it, it it's kind of you know, it wa it wasn't a horrible season. Like he was still pretty good, a 750 OPS, but you know, just 17 home runs. Uh you know, uh the counting stats were good, not great. Um 60 runs, 76 RBIs and 134 games. Uh, he he took a step, but not just the massive step to that, that you wanted to see for this bold prediction to come true. Um, I'm hoping that the White Sox give him like the chance to just be the first baseman, let Jose Abreu go. He won't have to play outfield anymore, a uh, place that they kind of shoved him into in, in there. Uh, but um, the Bauer rate was not as good as what it was in 2021. In 2021, it was 11%. Uh, this year, it was 8%. So... Um, Maybe uh, we got a little bit too excited about Vaughn. He might be more of a, an average in a, a 25 homer ceiling than like the the 35 homer uh, ceiling that I envisioned at first. Um, but uh, here here's here's another fun one. Uh, he finished behind Jose Breu in the in the player raider for White Sox hitters, and <laughs> believe it or not. Uh,
2: Elvis Andrews was the other White Sox player. <laughs> I was show. cracking up in your article. It's, it's, the it's checks crazy. notes, it's crazy Elvis yeah. Andrews. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I think I think Vaughn. There's some sneaky value here, and, and with LaRusse out, I think Vaughn uh, is going to get an opportunity to catch a little bit more rhythm. He did play 134 games, but I think when it was again so stop start and all of the drama going on in in Chicago, I think. Better days are ahead for Vaughn, who's just 24 still, so I like it. Um, my next one we don't need to spend a ton of time on, thankfully, which was uh, mm-hmm. Connor Joe will hit 30 home runs and double his projections. Uh, he did not. He had seven home runs in 111 games after the previous year where he had eight homers in 63 games. He had been hitting the ball a lot harder with some power in AAA thought maybe Coors would give him a little bump there but the hard hit rate plummeted from 39% down to 26% which is massive Um, again you know I think a lot of people were excited about Connor Joe last season this was a uh, you know like the player let's see how bold we can go and yeah it was just another miss here for Joe but First uh, few
1: weeks of the season, this prediction was looking really good. Uh, Joe got off to a, a scorching hot start. I think he had like three or four home runs the first two weeks. But yeah, hitting uh, for he was average well, and everything. On your yeah, yeah
2: he, he was looking good. But
1: uh, lesson learned: don't uh, pick Rockies in your
2: bowl prediction. Yes, that that says it well. So let's get to a better one, Steve.
1: Yeah, I had to throw my boy Stephen Kwan here. I hyped him up all last offseason. Uh, predicted that he finished as a top. 30 outfielder on the Raspball Player radar. He finishes the 19th best outfielder. Um, that was despite, you know, hitting for less power than I thought. It was just six home runs, uh, but he made for up for it. Uh, in the steals department, he had 19. That really came along in the second half. He really started running. I think he got caught stealing like two or three times in April and didn't run for a while um, and then, you know, really started to figure something out. Uh, but obviously it was the hit tool that carried him. He had 298, got on base at a 373 clip, uh, slugged 400. Um, you know, if, if he does have, you know, maybe, maybe not the 200 194 ISOs he had in Double uh, A AA and Triple A uh, in 2021, that got me a little bit more excited. But you know, if, if that's more like around 150, you know, he, uh, there's even some more room for upside here if he can get to like double-digit home runs with that that uh that played this one he struck out less than he walked he walked 9.7 percent of the time struck out just 9.4 percent of the time so yeah kwan was was pretty awesome last year
2: yeah and i think a big off-season narrative we're going to hear from from everyone if you guys are just tuning in is that the bigger bases on the paths should help the guys yeah. who are kind of in that middle range of stolen base uh speed or production and Quan would fit into that category for me to where maybe he gets a, a bump and the ultra green light, he gets up in the mid 20s, mm-hmm. upper 20s would be great. Um, but yeah, it'd be great to see the power develop. So love Quan, love the pick. Um, and that was kind of your poster boy all offseason. So uh, great call there. Um, in the interest of not burying the lead of the only one that I got right, I'm actually going to shuffle the deck here and go there we to, go. the love single it. victory that I actually you, had. You deserve it. Yeah. That a healthy Garrett Cole will finish outside the top 10 starting pitchers. Um, there was some process here that kind of mapped out because I know it was a weird pitcher year, and a lot of this was other pitchers being fantastic and, and just the offensive environment. But I didn't love how his home run per nine had gone up quite a bit since Spingate. His fastball spin rate was down since the whole band substance. And his fastball spin rate is still kind of down compared to where it used to be around 2,600, 2,550. It's been at 2,400 since all of that happened. Um, and Cole gets barreled up quite a bit. And that was the crux of this prediction is that In the article, it was a 3.52 ERA projection, and in real life, he had a 3.50 ERA, so pretty close. Um, Still plenty of Ks, which was to be expected. Um, But yeah, he finished outside the top 10 starting pitcher. I think it was 14 overall, so a bunch of names ahead of him, but obviously a wacky year. Just feels good to get one in the win column, so I can at least say... Ten percent of the bold predictions were right for me, Steve. Oh yeah,
1: you you pass the test.
2: That's exactly <laughs> what we go for, and, and you got it. Uh, great process there. I think it was a
1: great call, um, and kind of you know why uh, you know you don't have to tell me to fade early. You know the the aces of the aces, or you know or pitchers in the first round. So uh, I was with you lockstep there.
2: Yeah, I think his floor is what's keeping him as SP one overall because you—that's
1: his floor because that's yeah. his floor, right? That's how good he is. That this SP fourteen and exactly. a really good one at that. You, you know, still a, in a fifteen-team league, still the best pitcher on 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 one of your teams, right? That, that's yep. what makes Cole so good, and that's the argument against uh, everything I say there. For
2: totally sure. fair and, and understand it. Yep, Tony Gonsolin is not going to beat. Exactly, Garrett Cole next season. Yes. So that's yep. that's kind of the yep. crux. So, all right, Steve, on to a pitcher for you and uh, Cole's teammate at the start of yeah. the year. Yeah, Jordan
1: Montgomery. Uh, I, I I made the prediction that he would be the highest ranked Yankees starting pitcher. Uh, that was not the case. There were several others, including Cole, that finished ahead of him. Um, kind of could you know argue that you know the the arrow was right on this one. Uh, I, I, think I yeah. He, he had a, a really good year, and especially when he went uh, over to the Cardinals uh, in the Harrison Bader trade, um, they allowed him to use his forcing fastball more, which, you know, unlocks some strikeouts. I know he faded a bit towards the end um, with the Cardinals, and I think, uh, did he, you would know this better than me, did he not make the postseason rotation, or they weren't going to use him? I know they, they, they didn't have uh, many postseason games, but... Uh, he sort of faded enough that it, it was a question mark if he even would get a start in the postseason. Um, but that being said, um, it seems like the Cardinals may have unlocked a little bit of a strikeout upside that I was hoping for that would come through. Uh, it didn't this year, despite him being pretty good. Um, but there still may be some strikeout there, because potential there, because the swing and miss, uh, or then whiffs, numbers uh, indicate that there would be especially on the changeup. Um, and now if this fastball be- can become more of a put away pitch like he actually said I believe he said it on uh, a podcast with CC Sabathia um, when he got traded um, that you know it allowed him to uh, establish the fastball as more of a swing and miss pitch where he never was able to get comfortable with it with the Yankees because they just wanted to throw that two seamer he never got comfortable with the four seam so i we'll think he had a better year than uh, a lot of people were expecting and, and and i still may be in on him next year as well uh with the cardinals
2: yeah he had a he had a bad bad stretch at the end of the season and and threw some relief in the short postseason mm-hmm. for the cards but yeah that was uh yeah in a longer series might have gotten stretched out but yeah, I think uh, I'll be interested in Montgomery. I mean, yeah, we, much the, better, much better place to pitch, right? Yeah, much better place. And on, I mean, he doesn't get the division because of the the new schedules, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a little unfortunate with like the Pirates and you know the mm-hmm. Reds and all that. But still, I think we're we still like the fact that he gets more whiffs than translates to the K's because that seems like an easy path to unlock Absolutely. some more fantasy value. So, mm-hmm. like that one a lot. Um, on to my next one, which was, again, closer. I categorized this with the Blake Snell one, which was that Hunter Renfro would be a top 50 overall player in 5 by 5 He was not. He was um, not even close. He was 120th amongst hitters <laughs> um, to immediately throw cold water on that. But just 125 games played. He had a hamstring strain, which limited kind of the overall volume and I think he was on the path that I was aiming for because he he hit 255 and had 29 homers in that 125. So if he would have been able to, you know, go 150, maybe that's 36 homers. A little bit of wish casting. The Brewers' offense wasn't great, so the counting stats weren't as as good as I would have liked. But one thing that is worth noting for fantasy purposes next year is he did hold on to some of those plate discipline gains just a 23% strikeout rate. And when you pair that with true 30 homer pop, I think that's a pretty good combination for a guy who should be hitting in the heart of the order. You just got to hope that it kind of is, is less of the three run games for the Brewers. So I think Renfro was a, an all right one for process and results His back of the card looks okay. But yeah, a, yeah another this
1: just, here. this just, this just missed because of volume, right? Like, you know, had he been healthy, he, he definitely would have come close he to would like, have flirted you know, 35, with 35 yeah. 40 homers uh uh add in uh the counting stats for runs and rbis that would have came along he would have been a lot closer so for yeah, sure uh, i think this
2: was a good call not the worst one so no nope. back to you steve on uh last couple ones so this call was a little bit specific but it was uh that Trey
1: Turner would have the best fantasy season uh, for the Rasball Player Raiders since Charlie Blackman in, in 2017. I think Blackman had like $49 worth of value. Um, and the logic there was, you know, Turner has the power speed, uh, average four to, to do everything there. Uh, and what is funny is that someone actually did have a better fantasy season than, than <laughs> Charlie Blackman. It just was not Trey Turner. It was Aaron Judge. Had I predicted that, uh, that would have been a lot bolder. Uh-huh. Uh, I would have been a, looked a lot smarter. Uh, Aaron Judge, I think, had $68 worth of value, which, you know, I, I look back. The I think the baseball Player Raider goes back to 2016 or 2017, and Blackman was the highest at that 49. And, like, you know, there's a lot of seasons, 48, 47. Judge was just so good that he blew by that by, like, 20 bucks. Uh, absolutely insane what Judge did. Um, Turner wasn't bad himself. I think he was third on the Player Raider. Uh with like forty dollars worth of value, so didn't even didn't didn't pass Black in, in twenty seventeen. Um but still had a had a pretty good year, but not quite enough to be that uh best fantasy season uh in, in the last half a decade, like a, like my prediction said. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think it was worth the, the shot again, looking at the uh you know, ninetieth percentile outcome or something, but yeah. uh yeah, judge. Not a bad not a bad season. No um uh, All right, I'm pairing my last two, Steve, because I don't want to talk about either one of them. Aaron (laughs) Aaron Savali leads the AL Central in wins, and Jack Flaherty finishes as a top-five starting pitcher overall. Uh, Flaherty was injured uh, most of the season and came nowhere close, so that was kind of a a bit of a wash because that came out after, of course, the bold prediction. And then Savali... Uh, now, his teammate had the most wins in the AL Central, but it was not Savale; It was actually Cal Quantrill. Wow. Um, so that is a little bit of a surprise. I would, I would
1: have guessed Bieber or McKenzie, McKenzie before that.
2: Yeah. And that's what was part of the, the process for the Guardians is they do like to yeah. let their pitchers mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. And I I forget what I cited with Savale, but it was something like the amount of games he threw seven innings or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Savale had... You know, for one, it's a reach anyway, but he only had uh ninety seven innings, had three different injuries, so a miss there. But yeah, that's just the spirit of bold predictions. When you get this deep into it, you're you're yeah. you're kind of looking at things that are different than just yeah, strikeout raid and you're all like that
1: the stuff. personification of the, the gif or the meme of the always sunny gif with all the you know the the, 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 cork board, board. the yeah the cork board and all the arrows pointing trying to figure out when when you're writing your you know your your seventh bold prediction uh, and, and you're deep in into savant statcast and uh and Pitcherless player pages uh, you, you look like that and you get there but I will say Savali did have some nice starts uh, towards the end of the year the curveball looked really good kind of like that 2019 2020 uh, Savali that was pretty good. Uh, so th- there were some encouraging things there. It was obviously uh, a, a lot of injuries. I think he had some sort of weird hand injury, right? He, he like, got hit by a comebacker, I think. If that that's correct, that sounds familiar. Um, Flaherty though, I, I, I don't know. I had Oof. him in a lot of places last year, even as, as uh, you know when his stock fell. Uh, it just he said he was he was right, and then came back from that that rehab where you know they eventually said that he came back too early and then you know th- there was some flashes I think at the very very end that were encouraging but uh, it's going to be hard for me to to jump back in as someone who's liked clarity a lot throughout his whole career uh, I guess I'll need to see a fully healthy spring training for him before I buy into anything.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a good one to watch in spring training. And I believe this will be the contract year Yeah, uh, for Flaherty. So he has some incentive there. But yeah, um, I think with Cardinal Nation growing a little sour on Flaherty, I mean, just he he had an attitude about people asking him about the injury and then to, to do that and come out and throw 36 innings. Like, I know you don't have much control over health, but don't. Shame reporters for asking you mm-hmm. about it uh, if you're actually injured. Yeah,
1: if you're actually, it's a valid
2: question if, if that's that's the case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I, round I, I, us yeah. out, Steve, uh, with with your final one here.
1: Yeah, you you gave this one a you know little inside baseball here. There's there's highlights like our our ones that are right are like a bright green, and then you know depending on. If there was some value, uh, there's like a, a medium green highlight and then a, a really light <laughs> green highlight from the ones that you have to squint to see if they're right. This one has like a, a medium green highlight. Uh, that's Robbie Ray finishes outside the top 75 starting pitchers. He obviously wasn't that bad, but, uh, you know, he did not repeat the Cy Young year. There was some regression overall. Uh, there were some times where it looked pretty bad for Ray, but... Um, despite him going to a, a much better pitchers park in Seattle, uh, the home run rate and the walk rate did creep back up. And that sort of led to, you know, uh, an in-between outcome from, you know, his disaster years, like, like what what happened in um, 2020 um, and his Cy Young year in 2021. So uh, I, I I do like Ray. I think that this is kind of who the pitcher he is. It's just, you know, everything broke right for him in 2021 that, there Had to be some sort of regression, uh, not enough for this bold prediction to come true, but you know, it got the arrow trending right on this one, which uh, is kind of all you can ask for, um, when you're trying to go this bold,
2: yeah. And not that, um, it was some genius call on our part, but I remember as we were assessing Ray, we were very much in this realm of like, I think he's probably, uh, you know, high threes. Uh, he's gonna get you the strikeouts and volume and all that stuff, but high threes, ERA, and uh, you know a decent WHIP, and that's exactly what he did. Now, mm-hmm. I was listening to Schwabzey and Nick on Schwebzee's, uh pitcherless mock recap, and they were talking about Robbie Ray, and they talked about this line of a 3.71 ERA, 189 innings, 212 strikeouts, and a 119 WHIP, and Nick kind of said. This is Dylan Cease, which is why you can wait on Dylan Cease. So I think this is, to me, the floor for Cease, just to come full circle Agreed. on that that's discussion. The floor. Yes. And I think that 212 strikeouts over 189 innings seems low. Um, so I think the ratios is kind of the floor. But I think, again, there's so much that can happen that's, you know, much, much better than this. But Anyway, just we were talking about him earlier, so I think uh, you know it's full circle there that this this kind of what Ray just did is kind of what uh, Cease's floor is, and the difference in our mock draft was Cease went at the end of the third round, and then Ray did go at the start of the ninth round. So mm. six yeah, round I, for a floor I, I, to I, I, a, a, you know it's it I get the fair. I get
1: the logic, but you know uh, the people that are out on Cease are going to have Ray. Um, but, you know, I'd still take Cease over him. Uh, I guess it is debatable if, if it's worth that six round yeah. of value. But, um, you know, Cease is, Cease is a younger pitcher, I think, you know, may have some more room to develop, like Unlock you said it. earlier. Yeah.
2: yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, well, Steve, we've made it through, through this, and um, I'd be remiss not to say, and I should have said it from the jump, but we had stakes from my Bold Prediction article, and I wrote, as Steve Jaswelli is reading this, I am listing the betting terms that whoever gets more of these right gets a Pitcherless merch item. So as long as you're not finding like a Pitcherless branded suit jacket or something, <laughs> why don't you do some shopping? Uh, ah, nice. I, for, I forgot i forgot about that i, I forgot about oh that. oh yeah you got a little pl merch yeah. maybe and yeah i think we already got your address uh because of you know the the, the daughter quilt so <laughs> we'll, we'll get it sent over there you just let me know what you want and we, we got to keep the stakes the same for this year i think
1: oh yeah absolutely that is uh we'll we'll, we'll, de- we'll definitely do it again this was a lot of fun um I not Did we do an article? Did we do an episode on this when we wrote them? I, 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 so I we did.
2: I, we did chalkboard and bold we, predictions. Yeah, okay. But yeah. We, we, we were at yeah. like the hour twenty mark, and we were like, "Do we want to talk about any bold predictions?" Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a long off season. I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll get to it. I know. I, I wrote mine like super early, like in January last year. Uh, so uh, it, it, hard to believe that's only like two months away, uh, but we'll, we'll get there. I'm excited for. Uh, start to look forward now, now that we put a bow on all of our official predictions which is which is
2: nice. All right, Steve, get let's how about we do just to to wrap up the show. One player that you know you're going to be doing a bold prediction on next year and then I I'll, I'll do one as well.
1: Yeah, I hinted at one with story that one I'm not as passionate about, but um a guy that I think I'm going to be all over and and maybe, you know, This year's McClanahan for me. Maybe I'll I'll do him as best pitcher in, like, the the NL Central or something like that. But that's that's Nick Lodolo. I I think that this guy is going to uh, explode onto the scene more so than he even did last year. It looks, like, eerily similar to what Cease did uh, last year. You know, 103 innings, close to a 30— or, um, sorry, what McClanahan and sort of Cease did uh, in 2021. Uh, But 103 innings, close to a 30% strikeout rate, uh, walk rates under nine at just 8.8%. You know, has all the stuff from the left side, like, uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, amazing swinging strike rates all through the minors. Uh, a good one this year to, to back it up. Um, had some struggles and there's like an elevated surface ERA at 366. So, like, it, you know, might get the first glance sort of pass over uh, by just looking at the, at the numbers. But I think. Uh, Ladolo has the makings of uh, the next fantasy ace. So early, too early. Bold predictions. Nick Ladolo is a fantasy
2: ace in 2023. Very nice. Yeah, I love it, and I love that you didn't go not to steal the thunder because you're gonna you got the the Pollock pod to talk about it. But oh yeah, I feel like Christian Javier is going to be the the Buxton version this off Where, gosh, I hope the helium doesn't get too much. For official drafts, but I, I, I was I was wondering if you're going to go Javier till you said NL Central. <laughs> uh, I'll stay in the NL Central for mine, Steve, and it's a Homer pick, and it's another name that should be popular this off season. It is Lars Newtbar, oh. and I'm excited to dive into the plate discipline and all good things about Lars Newtbar. I don't actually have the bold prediction itself um I, I i gotta give myself that's yeah, it's a, right. it's a time rough draft
1: it's a rough draft yeah yes yeah, but
2: but yeah new bar and i've got a handful of other names that i thought we could share but hey that's our teaser for the bold prediction articles and maybe a show when when we get to uh early 2023 so that pretty much rounds us out uh long show but good recap uh steve it's great talking through these great catching up in general and yeah, a couple of weeks we'll be back on, but I'm excited to tune into the, the yeah we'll, uh, pods as they come out.
1: We'll have those come out uh, so you, you can catch us on another podcast, for is nice. I think we'll, you know, we had a lot of guests last off season. I think maybe we could try and uh, try and do that again. Have nothing official lined up right now, so can't tease anything or anything like that. But uh, you know, it's it's a it's a good time. Uh, people aren't as busy I and mean, you can jump on. Uh, uh, which, which is always fun to do. So uh, looking forward to that and, and starting to get into it, man. Uh, uh, I, I'm getting the itch to, to start to, to preview and, and prep for, uh, for 2023. Sooner, soon, but before we know it, it'll be drafts. So uh, cannot wait.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, snow on the ground. It's like, get us out of this desperation yeah. with some fantasy baseball talk. So yeah. thank you guys for listening. And we'll be back in a couple weeks this was Wins Above Fantasy episode 79. On behalf of Steve Giswelli, I'm Van Burnett. Thank you guys for tuning in. Please go out, give us a rating, review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you guys get the podcasts. And Feel free to email us, winsabovefantasy at gmail.com with any show topics in the off season. But that's all we got. It's been great talking baseball with you, and we will talk to you guys in a couple weeks.
1: Thanks, guys. Later.